you're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. I also cover modern modern anthology science fiction shows such as Black Mirror and the Jordan Peele-produced Twilight Zone reboot in bonus episode review series. I also end each episode of the main feed of the podcast with a bonus review of an episode of science fiction theater, uh, the kind of, uh, prototype or proto twilight zone. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. The grandfather of, uh, sci-fi anthology shows, I guess, uh, you can find more of anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthology pod, tweet me at OV anthology pod, or send an email to Matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be discussing the mind and the matter. It's the 27th episode of the twilight zone second season, and it originally aired on May 12th, 1961. And I will be rounding out the episode with a brief review of Science Fiction Theater Season 1, Episode 8, Spider, Inc. Um, if you have listened to the last few episodes of the podcast, the uh, main feed of the podcast, I should, I, I should say, um, so there's been a hiatus. I'm back from the hiatus and all that. I covered that in the special episode I just released. But in those past episodes, when covering Science Fiction Theater, um, I had found a YouTube account that had uh, uploaded pretty much the full episodes of most of ep- most episodes of science fiction theater that account no longer exists so um, if you want to check out science fiction theater you can buy the complete series DVD set on Amazon um, I'll put a link in the show notes a, a, like an Amazon affiliate link so if you go into the show notes of the episode and click on that link and buy it uh, I'll get a little kickback from Amazon for it so um, yeah, unfortunately that appears to be the only way that you can watch science fiction theater. Um, but I do enjoy the show and, uh, I think that it may be worth, uh, blind buying on Amazon. I say that having not, like not knowing how much it actually costs on Amazon right now. Um, let me actually check real quick. Well, on Amazon, it is currently unavailable. Um, crap. So- so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it may be available at some other way, but right now it seems that there's no way to buy science fiction theater, um, or see it. So sorry about that. Okay. And I just looked at, uh, Shout Factory's website, which is the distributor for, uh, science fiction theater, the DVD set. And it is, uh, not available. It's sold out. And as of October, um, of 2019, it is officially out of print. So I'm sorry, but, um, I did find that there is a, uh, website dailymotion.com where you can watch the full episodes. I'll start putting, I'll start putting links to those episodes in the show notes of, of the episodes that I cover it. So anyway, um, yeah, so that's what I'm going to be doing today on the podcast. And, uh, before I get to that, I do want to mention, um, some news and updates, really just one thing, one kind of interesting thing that I discovered a year ago. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, back when I were last year, I bought, uh, the DVD set of Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which was a TN, I think TNT, um, anthology show based on the work of Stephen King. Um, desperately want that to exist again. <laughs> I want an episodic, uh, anthology show based on the short stories of Stephen King, uh, solely those short stories. Um, but something interesting about that, the way it connects to, uh, the Twilight Zone is that the first episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes, uh, was an episode titled Battleground, um, which Battleground is based on a short story from, I believe it's Night Shift, uh, Stephen King's first short story collection. And what's interesting is that Battleground, um, 
the episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes. It aired July 12th, 2006. Um, it was written, the teleplay was written by Richard Christian Matheson, Richard Matheson's son. And it pays homage to the invaders in that it has no dialogue um, and is about a man who is uh, a, a person who is under threat of being murdered by miniature figures. Um compared to him uh really interesting I, I just i just got a huge kick out of that like when i saw richard christian matheson's name in the in the opening credits i was like oh wow this is i'm in for something and i was just delighted uh by that that's really all the news and updates i have because i did cover a bit um over on the special episode i do want to mention that i made two guest appearances on twilight zone podcast during the hiatus that i took um in september i was a guest on uh between science and superstition uh dan and anna were great i had a lot of fun talking to them just kind of chatting about the twilight zone and about uh i'm I'm blanking on the name of the show um the uh the netflix show um oh my god why can't I think of it anyway? It's, uh, Oh, 13 reasons why, um, kind of griped about that. <laughs> um, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a lot of fun on, uh, to be on their podcast and they're great. And also if you go to their website, their website is freaking gorgeous. Like they have one of the best like websites like designed. Um, I'm super jealous of it, but anyway, check that out between science and superstition. I had a lot of fun. They, they're a great, uh, podcast and a great pair of people. Um, and they're a lot of fun to chat with and, uh, they put, they have a lot of great stuff, not, not just twilight zone, but they have, uh, other like movie reviews and stuff. That's a lot of fun. So check them out, uh, between science and superstition. It's bsas.com i believe uh link in the show notes and also just a few days after that i made a guest appearance on submitted for your approval i believe it's my third uh guest appearance on brandon's show submitted for your approval had a lot of fun chatting with brandon um we reviewed the season three episode of the twilight zone still valley so if you want to get a get ahead of me here and hear my thoughts on that uh check that out a uh, lot of fun, always, always a lot of fun to chat with Brandon and, uh, yeah. And I, I really enjoyed the kind of new format of the show, uh, that he does, um, compared to my last appearance on the show. So it was a lot of fun to, um, chat with him and everything. It's always a good time to share, uh, share time <laughs> to, uh, uh, fellow Twilight Zone podcasters. Okay. So, on to this episode of Anthology. Um, I'm going to read a spoiler-heavy plot summary of The Mind and the Matter. So, of course, if you haven't seen The Mind and the Matter, go ahead and watch it and then come back and uh, listen to this review. Um, I'm going to read the plot summary that's going to spoil the entire episode, courtesy of The Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr. Also, totally forgot to mention, um, backing up a little bit, uh, he, Martin Grahams Jr., re- recently released a book um, similar to his Unlocking the Door to Television Classic Twilight Zone book and his science fiction theater book. He did one for Way Out, which was a little scene, um, I think, Roald Dahl uh, sci-fi anthology show. I, I grabbed it. Uh, I'm excited to, to read it. And I think the episodes are lost, <laughs> but I'm really excited to just dive in and, and see what kind of... Um, kind of show existed once in this realm of science fiction anthology shows. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And on to my plot summary of The Mind and the Matter. Mr. Beechcroft, an employee of the Park Central Insurance Company, is tired of being pushed around by society. Every day he rides crowded subways, is herded into the elevator like cattle, and having people spill fluids on his clothes. When a friend hands Beechcroft a book titled The Mind and the Matter, How You Can Achieve the Ultimate Power of Concentration, it takes Beechcroft Beechcroft only a few hours to read the contents. Applying wisdom from within the pages, he uses concentration and underrated power of the universe to get rid of the people who annoy him. Late one evening, he uses his power to cause his landlady to vanish. When he succeeds, he concentrates on eliminating all the people in the world. Now the ride on the subway train is not crowded, and the office where he works is peaceful and quiet. So quiet that Beechcroft finds himself consorting a folding... Consorting a... Oh, wow. (laughs) So quiet 
that Beechcroft finds himself resorting to folding paper airplanes by the end of the day. While he enjoys the luxury of peace, he is bored to death. With the still emptiness preying on him, he decides to focus his concentration on people he can stand, people like himself. He succeeds in populating a world full of Archibald Beechcrofts, but since he hated people, he now has to live in a world where that hates everyone else. Putting everything back the way it was, Beechcroft realizes that if he had the chance to change change anything, he wouldn't be more content. So, The Mind and the Matter stars Shelley Berman as Archibald Beechcroft. This was his only episode of The Twilight Zone. He did a lot of guest appearances on TV from the 60s up until the 2000s. Um, he had a recurring role on... Uh, the show Boston Legal as a judge, and he appeared in a total of 13 Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes. Co-starring as Henry is Jack Greenwich. Uh, this is his only Twilight Zone episode, and he also appeared in 18 episodes of Cold Jack the Night Stalker, uh, which I believe Richard Matheson worked on the original TV movie for that. And he also appeared in Rebel Without a Cause and a couple episodes of Scrubs. And rounding out the cast as Mr. Rogers is Chet Stratton. This is his first of two Twilight Zone episodes, with his next appearance being in Miniature in season four of the podcast or of the show. <laughs> oh, wow! Um, and he was also he also appeared in one episode of One Step Beyond called The Stonecutter. Uh, one Step Beyond, of course, is also available on Amazon Prime to check out. Um, it's pretty solid. Uh, writer for this episode was Rod Serling. Um, I couldn't find much information about it except that he. Uh, had written it with, uh, or he had offered it to Shelley Berman, um, as if he had written for him. I think he originally wanted someone else, um, to take the role, but then he took it to Shelley Berman and, uh, he took it. Uh, director for this episode was Buzz Kulik. This is his fifth of nine Twilight Zone episodes. The most recent one we saw from him is a hundred yards over the rim. And next we'll see from him is a game of pool in season three. So what I knew before going into this episode, I knew nothing. Um, the title makes me think of Mind Over Matter, which could mean anything really. And I had noticed that the cover image on Amazon Prime had a man with his back to a mirror reflection looking at him. Um, I obviously found out during the episode that it wasn't a mirror. It was more of just a board, um, uh, a chart. And it just reminded me of Nervous Man in a $4 Room from earlier in the season. I got that vibe there. So, um, all right. So let me go into my review. Here is a clip from the episode. This is Rod Serling with his opening narration for The Mind and the Matter. A brief, if frenetic, introduction to Mr. Archibald Beechcroft, a child of the 20th century, a product of the population explosion, and one of the inheritors of the legacy of progress. Mr. Beechcroft again, this time act two of his daily battle for survival. And in just a moment, our hero will begin his personal one-man rebellion against the mechanics of his age. And to do so, he will enlist certain aids available only in the Twilight Zone. Okay, so the first thing that I noticed right off the bat when we see Shel- uh, when we see um, <laughs> Archibald uh, Beechcroft uh, in the, uh, on, on the train is and then in the elevator is the way that Shelley Berman plays the character. Like he has this look of just pure disgust and resentment that is like dialed up to 11 right off the bat. Um, and he does such a great job just, just emoting that, uh, that feeling, um, he, like throughout the entire episode, but especially in those opening scenes to give us a, a live look at the character. Um, <laughs> the other thing I noticed is that Archibald Beechcroft, that name is amazing. <laughs> um, uh, there's no analytical thing for this part of the, I just want to, I just want to share my appreciation for a great character name in the Twilight Zone, Archibald Beechcroft. Uh, really good. So, um, we see him at the office, uh, Henry spills coffee on him and, uh, I, again, I just really like Shelley Berman's performance. Like when he sits down and he's kind of exasperated, it takes off, uh, he takes off his glasses and just kind of like puts his head, uh, puts his head in his hands. I just, I, I like that's just simple, um, emotion from an incident that isn't like a life defining incident or anything. It's just like a minor in, 
inconvenience and like it's very much emoting that it's just ruined his day. It's thrown his day off from uh, from a point where he has already been thrown off just from his general disposition toward the world. Um, so I just like that like slight kind of um, elevation to his frustration for the day. Then we get the scene in the bathroom where he is uh, just still kind of exasperated. And then Mr. Rogers, who it's, I don't think it's, it's necessarily clear. I don't know if Mr. Rogers is supposed to be his boss or just a, just a coworker or a colleague, but I kind of get the sense that he's like upper level, like he's, he's above Beechcroft. But what I really liked about um, this scene between the two is that Mr. Rogers is very, um, <laughs> he's very persistent and almost to the point of being just slightly invasive, just talking about how Beechcroft needs to, you know, be healthy and, and everything and talking about how, like, he needs to get his sleep and um, being healthy isn't isn't just a personal thing. It's, it's also an extension of his role within the company and just throwing that kind of uh, corporate BS at him uh, to keep him like in line essentially. Um, but Beechcroft's response to it is, is kind of delightful in, in a weird morbid way. Um, he goes off on a rant and you, we can tell as the audience that we can tell that he is having a bit of a mental breakdown of, of sorts, but he says that if I had my way, here's how I'd fix the universe. I would get rid of all the people. <laughs> And he goes on to talk about how he would just eliminate the entire human race. <laughs> and I, like, there's something to Shelley Berman's performance that it's, it's very much this perturbed, um, charm. Like, it's, it's this thing where he is obviously perturbed. And, like, there's a read of this episode and of this character that, is much darker than what we got, but Shelley Berman plays it kind of to a comedic stance, just slightly, and it comes across as more empathetic, and and we're more empathetic to his plight as Archibald Beechcroft than we are afraid of him erasing the human race. <laughs> but I kind of I I kind of cracked up a few times after I watched this for the first time, but I kind of cracked up because I kind of thought like, what if, like, what if us today, someone today, like, oh, okay. Beechcroft works at an insurance company. I work at an insurance company. What if I was in the bathroom or I was, I was in, I was talking to like one of my managers and was like, I just want to get rid of the entire human race. I want, I want all of the, I want all of the people to just be gone. Everyone to just be completely erased from the universe. Um, I would get in trouble. <laughs> I would, uh, have, some calls from HR and everything. <laughs> like, I just thought of that, like how just deranged does that just in terms of just the dialogue, make that make him sound And to contextualize that in a modern office space. Um, and in the real world is really kind of humorous to me. It just made me, it made me laugh. So what I really like about kind of the, this, this episode has for, for the most part, this episode is fine. It's I'll, I'll go ahead and say that spoiler for later in this review, but it's it's fine. Um, but what I really like about it is that it uh, it really does a great job of demonstrating just how um, closed in everything is for for Beechcroft. Like there's a scene later where like the second scene where he's on the train the next day after he gets the book. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll get back to that in a bit. Um, that scene is, it's a much tighter scene. It's very, it's zoomed in on him. It's, it's very much more crowded than the opening scene. And this kind of, this kind of, um, very, uh, very closed in and, and aggravating, uh, like limited personal space for Beechcroft is what I should say. Um, the limited, <laughs> the limited personal space that Beechcroft has is prevalent throughout the entire episode up until he erases everyone and i really appreciate that like the kind of structure and the care of that like when he's in the lunchroom he's try he's like fighting through like a crowd to get to the table and everything and it's just like little things like that really kind of exemplify the tone that they're trying to strike with this episode it's kind of it's comedic but it's also just at, at its heart about a character who is a misanthrope and uh just hates people <laughs> he's just very he has a very um curmudgeonly uh uh, per, uh 
perspective on the world. So the actual lunch scene where Henry gives him the uh, the book as kind of an apology for um, for spilling coffee on him, the mind and the matter, how you can achieve the ultimate power of concentration. <laughs> um, I love again Beechcroft, like uh, Shelley uh, Berman's uh, his performance is is incredible. Like there's this long gaze that Beechcroft gives to Henry when he's given the book and. In that moment, it's it's like probably like all told, it's probably three or four seconds, if if that. But it's this gaze that he gives to him, where it's like he's trying to understand what's happening. <laughs> like this coworker uh, or assistant or what have you has just gifted him an object, and it's almost like Beechcroft can't compute human kindness. And I kind of I really appreciate that. It's like it's kind of like this this uh, this. I don't want to say animalistic, but like this reaction to it where it's like, he's weary of it. Like he hates people, but like this person just did something nice for him. And it's like, he's trying to figure out like, okay, what's the, what's the angle here? Like why, like I'm like my entire personality and my entire stance on, on everything is that I hate people, but this people just gave me something that is kind. Um, (laughs) But I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm reading too much into that that single gaze. But I, I really kind of appreciate that kind of long stare that Beechcroft gives. And we get right uh, right from the uh, immediately in Henry's response that uh, this is our object. This is our magical object for this episode of the Twilight Zone. Um, he Henry says that it's uh, the only. He believes it's the only copy in existence, and uh, and that he like saw it. He saw his friend um, kind of manipulate, like use concentration to uh, cause a woman to buy a product and everything. So we get a very light um, kind of like build up or light setup for the actual book, which I'm fine with. We don't need an extended, like long winded thing and we don't need a bunch of rules and everything. It's just it's a book and he's going to read it. <laughs> and so. As as we get more uh, scenes with with uh, Beechcroft reading the book, he's going through kind of his daily routine that we previously saw in the episode. But this time he's reading the book and he's more engaged by it. Um, and I just want to say, first of all, um, I just want to say right here that the music in this episode, um, I didn't do my due diligence. I don't know what kind of music it is. I don't know if it's stock music or what have you, but it does, it kind of works over time to present the episode as a comedic type of episode. And I kind of appreciate that because without that tone, it could seem a little bit, a little bit, um, convoluted as far as what tone they're trying to strike. Cause it's a man who wants to erase everyone <laughs> and without Shelley Berman being a, a good comedic presence and the score being very much, uh, kind of, energetic in in a comedic sense um we could be kind of lost there like this could have been a very dark episode <laughs> but it it is more lighthearted than uh than other episodes uh in the twilight zone canon so uh i get to the i'm now at the scene where train the, the ah, where he's in the train <laughs> And, uh, I just, again, I just love how, how more constricted and claustrophobic it is. And the tighter frame of it is really great. Um, and so then he's back home, he's reading the book and it's like, he's coming around to it. I just, I like this underlying thing that like my read of my read of this, this episode is that it's kind of like the entire episode is like an indictment against self-help books. Um, I just kind of, I kind of like that that's kind of turns out to be kind of a running thing throughout the episode. Um, and so the actual concept of, of uh, him being able to concentrate hard enough to get rid of everyone, um, it feels a bit like a riff on, say, Time Enough at Last, where he's a character who is getting rid of everyone or everyone has disappeared and he's now bored and everything. Um, same with where is everybody? It's kind of a common theme throughout the twilight zone, um, where we have like a single character who is experiencing, um, loneliness or isolation. And that's something that I, I'm appreciating the way that it is, the, the way that it's coming into focus throughout the throughout the episodes and throughout the se- the season and the series as a whole. I think it's interesting that each um, each iteration of of the kind of isolated storyline of a single character being isolated is is unique. Each one is unique. Like I'm thinking of 
uh, okay, so time enough at last. Where is everybody? Um, King Nine will not return. Nor- Nervous Man in a four dollar room. Um, bunch of episodes where it's just like a single character or single characters who are just isolated and alone. And I, I like that as a running theme throughout the Twilight Zone canon. Um, so then we get the scene where he is, um, uh, he gets rid of the landlord. Um, and it doesn't take much. He just concentrates and she's gone. Um, and I feel like, I don't know if the Twilight Zone reboot the, from 2019, I don't know if CBS All Access's, uh, Twilight Zone was intending to do a riff on this or if they use this as a, as a, uh, influence for the comedian episode, but, uh, it does feel like maybe the comedian was paying homage to this episode and to an extent. Um, so he, he gets rid of the landlady, the landlord. And he says today, today, the landlady, tomorrow, the world. And I, I, I really like, uh, Shelley Berman's read of that line. It's a very fun read where he's like, it's almost comedic and lighthearted, but also carries this vaguely sinister feel where he's just like, I'm going to try to do an imitation of him. <laughs> um, he says, uh, today, the landlady, tomorrow, the world. And it's just like, it's not this, it's not like this sinister thing per se, but it's, like I said, it's vaguely sinister, but it's more like he's just tickled with himself that he can, that he can like do this and that he, he, he's so excited about it. And it's, I don't know, uh, it's, it's really interesting. And at this point in my first viewing of it, um, I was kind of thinking like, okay, is he insane? Like irredeemably insane? Or is this a lighthearted episode? Even though the score and uh, kind of the tone of a lot of the scenes have been comedic, at this point I kind of felt like, is this going to turn into a more sinister, like dark episode? Um, and so I kind of felt like uh, I was juggling between those two tones uh, throughout uh, at this moment in the episode. So the next morning we get the train station scene, um, and he makes everyone disappear. Kind of, uh, I don't, this isn't really relevant per se, because I don't think M. Night Shyamalan really like took inspiration from this episode, but it's interesting that he's a man who has this superpower and he utilizes it in a train station or discovers it or uses it to its full potential in a train station. And that's kind of a similar kind of thing that happened with, uh, Unbreakable, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's 2000, 2000 movie. Um, I don't know if he, I don't know if he was, uh, influenced by that or it's just a coincidence, but it's, I guess, worth mentioning, I guess. I don't know. Um, so, uh, so not only does he get rid of everyone on the planet, but he can control things with his mind. And again, it's an interesting rift on time enough at last and where is everybody? What I really, um, what I really thought, what I found interesting, and it's it's nitpicking, and I'm not criticizing it or anything, but just the fact that he still goes to work, um, it's it's an interesting concept to have him erase everyone on the planet. Um, there are so much more fun things to do <laughs> with you as the only person in existence, um, but he goes to work at an insurance company and still does his work. I thought that that was um, an interesting... I don't I doubt that it had anything to do with budget limitations or anything, but I kind of feel like I don't know if this is the intention of Serling, but it kind of feels like this guy is so empty and so he's he's just so morose and uh, misanthropic and everything that even with like the world is his literally the world is his, is his oyster. He is an omnipotent being on the planet where he is the only person on the planet and he goes to work. And I think that that is a, is an interesting reflection to just how empty his life is and how, um, how miserable he is as just a, as just a human being. Um, yeah. So when he's at work, we get some interesting, interesting stuff there. The shot of the empty alley is, was really great and kind of ominous. It kind of, uh, really kind of displays like how empty everything is how alone he is um and the sound design in this episode is 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 really great like there these kind of the sound design the soundtrack of the move of the episode where when it's all crowded and everyone is all just like puttering by him and everything and crowding uh um beechcroft um the sound design is very cacophonous and it's very just 
uh, like very bombastic. Um, but now that everything is, everyone's gone and everything, uh, it's completely silent and you can kind of just hear just how he's walking and walking along and everything. And it's, I don't know, just, I really appreciate the sound design there, there. Um, and again, just again, if I, if I erased everyone from the planet, not that I want to, but if I erased everyone from, from the planet, I would have zero incentive to go to work. Like zero. Um, so then we get another kind of riff on a past episode. Um, he is alone and everything, and he's now, uh, kind of, rethinking his his situation and this is when he starts talking to himself through the glasses lenses and then on the chart behind him and everything it's a reflection of him um that he's talking to and it just reminded me a lot of nervous man in a four dollar room not that it's a complaint at all um because there's no real way to really do that um without making it not that interesting like thinking of like king nine will not return we had the voiceover uh from the main character as he's thinking about like where his crew is and everything and like that's fine but i think this works a little bit better for this episode and nervous man in a four dollar room obviously um for this episode it's an interesting kind of reflection of what he's thinking in the fact that it's coming from him like an alternate version of him or a reflected version of him is more in touch with who he is as a character. Cause this is a very centralized episode where it's about this man who hates everything and confronting how miserable he is in a, in kind of a fun lighthearted way. Um, and also I just, I really like the way that they did the effects of, um, the, uh, projecting him in the, in the glasses lenses and on the, on the chart and everything. It's a very, it's a varied, uh, it's a very much varied effect. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's just a really cool, um, effect as it goes through. And it's, it's varied. I, I like that. Um, so he kind of doubles down on his misanthropy and he talks about how, uh, it's, it's boring and everything. And his voice, and his voice in the reflections is trying to kind of goad him into um uh <laughs> into just like admitting that he needs people um but then he doubles down on his misanthropy in in that he says that he's like he's trying to convince his reflection his inner monologue uh, personified in a reflection that he's content with everything and so uh, we get a couple of, a couple of instances of him trying to beat the boredom and he like conjures an earthquake, um, out of, out of boredom. Um, he just says like, Oh, how about an earth earthquake to liven things up? And that, that's a cool effect. I like the kind of shaking effect and everything. And then he, uh, asks for a nice little electrical storm. And honestly, if it, that's the first, that's probably the first thing I would do. I, I just love thunderstorms so much. Um, I just, there's something about, thunderstorms that kind of calms me in a weird way um and so he's he's continuing his boredom this one is <laughs> this instance where he is at the train station and he draws a mustache on a perfume model uh poster uh it was on a i don't know how to say it it, it was a little lame it was just it didn't do anything for me um i kind of feel like I kind of feel like there, there could have been something better for him to do to express his boredom and everything. It's just kind of childish and juvenile. Maybe that was the intention. And if so, then yeah, it, it worked, but it kind of just felt like just kind of silly in a way that the episode wasn't necessarily conveying its silliness. Like it was on a level of silliness that was higher than the rest of the episode's tone. Um, yeah. So then he's really, uh, lonely. <laughs> And then that's when he decides to create a world of Archibald Beechcrofts. And, oh man, like he populates the world with himself. And first of all, the, uh, the effects or, or the, uh, the masks that are used, uh, were creepy as all hell. Like I was super creeped out. And just in those few frames where we see people with like Archibald Beechcroft masks on, it was just super creepy and, um, just unsettling. But then we get the, uh, him in him dressed up in drag. And, uh, that's when we get 
one of our first indications that not only has he created a world of Beechcrofts, but a world of Beechcrofts that are uh, complete misanthropes and hate everything. And it's it's so like revealing of his character. Like this is, as I said, this this episode is kind of it's overall it's it's kind of okay, but. Here, like when we get this character who is so, like, uh, has so much, not, I don't know if I would necessarily say hate, but he just despises human, human beings. Like he hates people. He doesn't like people. He's a misanthrope. And to see him just populate the world with people that he does like and he likes himself and then have that turn, (laughs) turn so much uh out of his favor um is such a like monkey's paw-esque kind of reveal and it's something that i just i love about the twilight zone it's 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 another extension of the way that narcissism and ego is written into the twilight zone um and it's such a natural progression for this character like obviously he's going to create a world of of himself because he is he is someone who reveres himself as a person and hates everyone else. Yet I did not even fathom that that's where this episode was going to go. I had no idea that this is where the episode was going to go. And I really, I really liked that surprise and compounding that surprise with the, the woman version of, of Beechcroft and the very creepy mask, uh, masked extras. It was just a really interesting like moment for this episode and a nice reveal. Um, and then we get the, like realization that everyone is like him in personality as well. Um, and like he, he was the newspaper man who's like talking about how everyone is a thief or, or whatever. And then he was in the elevator. Like it, all of that was great. I, I loved it so much. And it's just an extension of how he hates everyone and thinks he'll be happy in a world filled with himself, but it's giving him a mirror to who he is and how he's perceived as well. Um, I think that that's a really interesting dynamic to strike in this episode is that this is a man who thinks that he's better than everyone. He's a person that thinks that he's the one person that knows how to person. <laughs> um, and he is having that just thrown in his face. Like he is seeing, he's given the opportunity, the twilight zone itself has given him, has given him the opportunity to see how he, how he behaves, how, how he acts, acts toward other people. It develops this empathy within him. And that's something that I found just fascinating because we have like like obviously as a as human beings we have this we should in general have this ability to empathize with other people but there are certain people um some in positions of power that lack this empathetic like trait and to see this episode kind of explore that idea in such a unique and in kind of lighthearted way, I felt was really just astounding, honestly. Um, even though the episode itself just worked just fine for me, I do think that element of it was something that really, um, really helped me appreciate it and is another extension of Serling just being a, a genius. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. Um, so he has enough of this and he just changes everything back. And I love this. Like, I love this last kind of last scene of the, um, episode is that he, everything's back to normal and Henry spills the coffee on him again. And it's just, I love the growth of the character. I love that he is a character who like, like I had questions of before he's not irredeemable. He is not, he is a redeemable character. And this, this growth that he experiences throughout throughout the episode is this just natural like character development and i just love how he's more pleasant and it all credit like a lot of credit goes to shelly berman because he plays that so well and he plays this just pleasant version of himself despite having 20 minutes of us seeing him being a miserable human being (laughs) um and that switch is just it's just a really good performance and i really appreciated uh the episode for that um and really, that's about it for this episode. Wow. Um, we got, uh, Serling's closing, Serling's closing narration. Um, and I'll just, I'll play a clip from it here in a second, but I just want to say that I like that the closing narration is this kind of note of optimism and it plays into the kind of lighthearted, comedic, 
uh, comedic kind of tone for the episode. So here's Serling's closing narration for The Mind and the Matter. Mr. Archibald Beechcroft, a child of the 20th century, who was found out through trial and error, and mostly error, that with all its faults, it may well be that this is the best of all possible worlds. People notwithstanding, it has much to offer. Tonight's case in point, in the Twilight Zone. All right, and uh, just a, a like closing thought before I go to trivia and everything. Um, the credit frame over the over the ending credits is of uh, Beechcroft's glasses. And I feel like that's another kind of homage to Time Enough at Last. Um, as far as trivia, I could not find hardly anything about this. Like even uh, 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 Martin Graham's Jr.'s book doesn't really go into much detail about the episode itself. Um, the only thing I could really find was on the DVD, there is a commentary track from Berman, and he talks about how Serling called him and told him that he wanted to write an episode of Twilight Zone for him. Um, now, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic has a different take on that. Um, apparently, Serling had written or wanted someone else involved in, in the Twilight Zone, and then when that person backed out, he uh, contacted Berman, and I think he reworked a script for him. Um, but uh, the other kind of piece of trivia that I have is that the idea to have Beechcroft as a woman in the elevator was uh, Shelley Berman's idea. And I think that, that worked really well. It was, it's a nice surprise and a fun, uh, a fun surprise for, for the episode. So yeah, that's my review of the mind and the matter. Um, like I said, overall, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good episode. I kind of going into this review, I, was kind of just, uh, I don't know. I, I was, I was a little on the fence about it. And I think talking it through for this podcast has been, uh, something that, that kind of opened my eyes to some of the brilliance at play in this episode. So I think I'm going to come away from this review having gained a, a much bigger appreciation for this episode, um, than I, uh, had before recording. So, um, that's where I stand on the mind and the matter. <laughs> Um, alright, so as usual, I'm going to close out this episode with a bonus review of an episode of Science Fiction Theater. Uh, this week's episode of Sci- Science Fiction Theater is Season 1, Episode 8, Spider Inc. Okay, Spider Inc. was an episode of Science Fiction Theater that aired on May 28th, 1955. Um, as I said earlier in the, in the episode... The YouTube account that I've been using to uh, share links to full episodes is gone now. So there is, I'll put links to the Daily Motion links um, where you can watch these episodes uh, for now. Um, hopefully the DVD set gets back in print again um, because it is, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting piece of television history. Um, and I, I would like more people to, uh, to see it so, so I can talk about it more and talk about it with you guys more. Um, so yeah, so this episode stars, uh, Gene Barry as Joe Ferguson and Audrey Trot, uh, Audrey Totter as his wife, Ellie Ferguson. Um, this is interesting. <laughs> so it also has Ludwig Stosel as Mr. Rogers. Um, kind of an interesting, uh, coincidence that this episode of science fiction theater has, uh, Mr. Rogers character as well as the mind and the matter had a uh, Mr. Rogers, um, director for this episode was Jack Arnold and writer for it was Jerry Sackheim. So the kind of synopsis for um, this episode is a scientist thinks he can use a 50 million year old piece of amber with a spider encased within within to produce synthetic oil. Um, so, yeah, so the, uh, the pre-show with uh, host uh, Truman Bradley um the pre-show of it just was about radiation and how every room has uh, radiation on a minuscule level and the kind of uh, the machine or the, the scientific uh, thing that was used as a demonstration was a carbon dating machine, which came into play in the episode. Um, Spider Inc. It was good. It was, it was a, it was a charming episode. Something that struck me about it, it, like I said, it was it was aired in 1955. Um, we get this kind of idyllic home life, like the fif- the classic 50s kind of 
uh, marriage thing where like a man is married to a woman and uh, it's just like this idyllic kind of 50s era um, representation of, of a household. Um, and what I found interesting about that was that she like the conflict between them is that the the husband uh, keeps buying things for uh, scientific experiments and everything. And she just discovered that she's pregnant and they need to, he needs to put away scientific things and earn income for their, for their family. Um, That's the main conflict. And I thought that was interesting that um, in a fifties TV show, we had something that was as, as uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say dark, but as heavy uh, as heavy a, uh, uh, conflict as, as that in a kind of fifties piece of television. Um, cause my interpretation of like fifties TV, especially like more geared toward just kind of general audience, like more getting as many, uh, uh, <laughs> hitting all four qu- quadrants and everything is that like, okay, we have these, this happy couple and everything and just having the conflict between them be something so, uh, frankly, so, um, universal to an extent or so relatable to actual audiences is interesting as I always kind of perceived fifties television as being an escape. Um, but the actual content of the episode, the, the idea of, uh, him thinking that this uh, spider encased in, in amber could be worth millions of dollars or could be could be a breakthrough for him um, is interesting. I don't like it doesn't really go into like the process or or how it would be used to uh, to produce synthetic oil, but that's it doesn't really matter. What I do like about it is that it does kind of rubber band back to that idyllic fifties like home life thing. Um, it becomes this very, um, very sweet story. Like as the characters kind of come together, like there are, there are other characters, like the person who sold him the, the spider and, and business partners and scientists and stuff. Um, the way that it comes together is this interesting story that it becomes about having faith in someone that, that you care about and like, like helping them achieve what they want to achieve um, even if you think that it is completely bonkers, insane. And I kind of, I really appreciated that. I thought that was a sweet, uh, a sweet story and a good, a good piece of science fiction television. It's a very, very much, um, uh, based in reality and, and kind of like, uh, very like it's not a supernatural thing or anything like that, as we've come to see in these episodes of science fiction theater, that's much more grounded than, uh, other shows like it. But I really appreciate it. I thought it was, I thought it was sweet. Um, maybe not the strongest episode of science fiction theater yet, but, um, pretty sweet in its own right and pretty, pretty charming. Um, yeah, and I guess that'll do it. That is that is my review of Spider Inc. Uh, from Science Fiction Theater. Um, yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes, of course. Uh, yeah, so next up on the podcast, um, I'm back. <laughs> this is me. I'm resurfacing, and I'm back um, after another long hiatus. Uh, the next episode for the main feed will be uh, me uh, reviewing Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up, which is... That is episode 28 from uh, The Twilight Zone Season 2. It's the penultimate episode of Season 2. And for a bonus review um, attached to that episode, I'm going to be talking about episode 9 from Science Fiction Theater's first season, uh, titled Death at 2 a.m. And before that, I'm going to do, I'm going to start my bonus review series of, uh, Black Mirror Season 5. So check that out soon. Um, it's good to be back. I'm glad that I'm back. Thank you guys so much for your support and for waiting for me and, uh, putting up with me and everything. Um, yeah, thank you guys. And, uh, yeah, we're in a weird time. It's the COVID-19 pandemic and everything. Um, Hope you guys are staying healthy. Hope you guys are staying safe, staying inside and everything. Um, and I hope that my podcasting can uh, help alleviate some of that uh, cabin fever you may be feeling. So um, glad to be back. Thank you guys for, for listening, and I'll see you next time. And now, here's a clip from a recent episode of The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast from ObsessiveViewer.com. It's weird. It's a weird, it's been a weird sense of like my life slowing down a little bit. And, and I, and I know that parents 
when their kids are older, they're always like, man, don't you wish we had them when they were four and two again for a little longer? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm getting that time nice. with them that you wish huh. to have later on. So um, that is, wow. Holy shit. That is, that's a really good perspective to have on it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. Thank you. Well, okay. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I mean, me, I don't. I'm, I don't mean to make light. I know people are having a no, hard no, time no, no. with it, but I, I was just about to make the joke that I've got the time of like my four-year-old cat. Now I've got. Mm-hmm, got mm-hmm. <laughs> These are the years we cherish most with our cats. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com/archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com slash As Good As It Gets Band. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Mind over matter. Today, the landlady. Tomorrow, the world. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.